Sure. So just quickly, thank you again. My name is Joel Winston. I'm an attorney with the Cohen Law Group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, our law firm represents only municipal clients. Uh, we do work in the wireless, um, the cable and the broadband space, but we represent only municipalities in Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland and elsewhere. Um, so we often work with the telecommunications companies, but we do not work for the telecommunications companies. Um, so our goal in drafting wireless ordinances is to make sure that we preserve and empower the local municipality um, with all of the regulatory and legal authority that's available to it under state, local, and federal law. And so we will make sure that we observe the regulatory guidelines that are in place, but we will also make sure um, to leverage the existing legal regulations and the existing legal authorities um, in order to properly um, manage and oversee the development of these essential telecommunications technologies. Um, the area of law that we're in is both kind of an old area of law and it's a new area of law. So um, there may be questions that are complex or seem um, complex or simple, but there are no silly questions. So if there's anything um, that is um, concerning or that you're not understanding or there's um, one elaboration on, please feel free to ask. Um, we're always learning new stuff just by the nature of these regulations. Um, so the primary bit of the regulations that under federal law um, regulating telecommunications facilities were developed in 1996, actually. Um, the, tele the Telecommunications Act of 1996 essentially preserved local zoning authority over the placement, construction, and modification over wireless service facilities, provided that the local zoning authority is not used to prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting wireless services. And so our regulations are designed around this guiding standard um, where the municipality um, has the local zoning authority, um, but the authority cannot be used to prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting wireless services. Um, and so if we get into the ordinance, the way that the ordinance is drafted is that there are essentially um, three types of wireless facilities and all wireless facilities will fit into one of these three categories. Um, the first is a tower-based wireless facility, the traditional tower or monopole. The second is a non-tower wireless facility. This is an antenna that's attached to another supporting structure. And the third type is the small wireless communication facility. The third type is the, the small facility is the so-called 5G. So we've all heard a lot about 5G in the past couple of years. Um, this is in part to changes in regulations, both by the FCC um, back in 2018 and 2019. Um, and then more recently um, here in Pennsylvania uh, in 2020, there were um, specific regulations enacted in the state of Pennsylvania related to small wireless facilities. The first two types, the tower-based and the non-tower will always be on private property. They're too big and too large to ever be in the public right of way. They will always be on private property. The third type, the small wireless facility, these facilities will almost always be in the public right of way. And this is in part due to regulatory changes. And that has to do with the price um, and the access and the timing of putting these facilities in. And so when an applicant comes to any of the uh, municipalities, um, with an application in hand seeking to site one of these facilities, um, the type and structure and size of the plans that they have to build will determine which category of facility that it is, whether it's a tower base, a non-tower, or a small wireless facility. 
And then based on that type, there are certain regulations that will apply based on, like, for instance, the application fee will be different for these different types of facilities. The review period is different for these types of facilities. Um, so the, the ordinance that we have drafted here um, is structured in that way. Um, so the opening portion of the, the ordinance um, modifies just the overall definitions. Um, many of the definitions are already in the existing ordinance, um, but there are some that we added and there are some that we modified. Um, but if we jump to um, kind of page nine, we'll, we start with all the regulations that are applicable to tower-based wireless communications facilities. And so based on the type of application that prevent, presents itself, um, if it is not a small wireless facility, which is, de which is um, defined at federal regulation, um, if it is not an antenna that's attached to a separate wireless support structure, if it presents as a facility um, with a special tower base, then these are the developmental and siting regulations that are built into what's required. Um, and so we can see here as we get in the, um, the review process, um, whether or not it's allowed by right or uh, conditional use or special and exception, um, for a tower-based and a non-tower-based facility, it's up to the municipality whether or not they want to put it through any of those processes. The federal guidelines, the, the guide rails, are that the applications have to be acted on in a certain time period and that the fees have to be reasonable and related to the actual municipal costs. But whether or not it can be special exception or conditional use um, is based on is up to the municipality itself as long as they fit within those guardrails. Um, so here, borrowing from what the existing regulations were for the tower base, um, we have it highlighted here in yellow, but it is set as a conditional use permit. Um, so it would be it would be reviewed um, under the the applicable the traditional conditional use process um, for the JMZO. And here, um, another part, and we can kind of flag this because this is for the other sections too, but the actual zoning districts of where these types of facilities are allowed. Um, the guiding principle is again, that we cannot prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting wireless services. Um, it's a little bit of an art and a little bit of a science. Um, if we pull up the GIS map um, for the joint municipality, um, it is, it's, a, it's a challenging patchwork of different um, zones and districts. We can allow, um, these facilities both at the district level um, or even a sub portion of the district. Um, so we can start to define portions of the district um, or sections and he even here under the existing regulations, um, it's actually um, defined by tax parcel, tax map parcel. Um, but we can both subdivide the, the districts and we can also um, prioritize certain areas in the districts. We can set a priority schedule um, that if you must be in certain areas or certain districts, we can look to parts, we can look to streets, we can look to alleys, we can create a priority schedule of where we would um, prefer that telecommunications developers seek to site their facilities um, without impinging on that requirement that we can't prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. Um, the third type of facility, the small wireless facility, um, these types of facilities, again, are always going to sit in the public right of way and 
Um, Technology-wise, we are seeing them incorporated into the tops of utility poles. Um, we are seeing them designed sometimes as mailboxes um, or also on the tops of flagpoles. Um, but these facilities under Pennsylvania law um, cannot go through um, a conditional or a special exception process. They have to be allowed as by right. And it's sort of understood that these are an administrative review process um, the municipalities do get to undertake a review of the application and of the design, um, but the state law took away the opportunity to make those a uh, conditional use or special exception permit. Um, now, I will say that we have seen um, the, the marketing for 5G, the development of these 5G facilities um, really, really exceeded what the actual rollout was going to be, um, whether that was a technology issue or um, related to just changing in patterns of the pandemic, we have not seen as much development of the small wireless facilities as much as we have seen changes to the existing um, tower and non-tower antenna infrastructure by upgrading existing antennas and placing additional antennas onto existing infrastructure. Um, but I did for the first time today just read the term 6G, so I'm a little shaken by that, but um, <laughs> It's the next generation of what they're talking about, and I'm sure that'll be a new regulatory landscape, but we're certainly um, busy with what we have here. So that's kind of a, a top line overview. We can definitely jump in um, deeper, but I just want to pause and, and see if there are questions or if there are any issues that we can kind of um, dive into a specific area that's top of mind. So I've got a question for you. Um, I'm just trying to like envision this. So I'll give you an example. My neighborhood, there are telephone poles, and part of my neighborhood, my part of the neighborhood, everything's underground. So I guess I've heard a couple of things. One is that some of the wireless facilities could go on top of the telephone poles, but it's possible if everything's underground in the other part of the neighborhood, you might need, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm getting all the acronyms mixed up, but small wireless facility, with a, if, if I'm correct, that, that could be like, looks like sort of like a lamp post for lack of a better, or like a big lamp from the pictures I've seen. So do I have that right? And then is that, I asked one of your colleagues, I think, and it sounded like it all needs to be determined. Verizon's gonna have to come in and figure out like how the coverage goes, and then we'll know what's gonna go where. There's no way to tell until they do that. Yes, so those are a couple of good questions that are stacked together. Um, a portion of, talking about the, the telephone polls first, a portion of the Telecommunications Act um, prohibits specifically discrimination against telecommunications companies where other utilities may be treated different. So in areas where there are telephone poles above ground, small wireless facilities cannot be prohibited because it would, <clears throat> excuse me, it would be discriminatory to do that. In areas where um, all the utilities are underground, we currently write the regulations from our side that also small wireless facilities have to be underground, <clears throat> excuse me, that small wireless facilities have to be underground too. This is sort of a technical impossibility because you can't site a facility underground, but we're looking to preserve the residential character of those underground di districts. So we would look to an ancillary type of facility, like a non-tower facility, maybe sited on top of a, of a commercial building or a, um, an apartment building or a school to make up for that wireless coverage in an area um, where all the facilities were underground. Um, but the overall, the overarching um, regulatory and legal claim is that we can't prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. 
So while we write the regulations that way, it really comes that it does come down to kind of a case by case basis. When you have a telecommunications company that does want to site a facility, you have to actually look and see where that facility is, what they're serving, what the other facilities are, if there are other um, tower based or non tower based around that. So it really is a case by case question. Um, and these wireless companies do not reveal anything um, in advance in terms of being able to predict where future development might go. Um, and it's very tough to get information from them. Um, even when we work with Verizon in our cable franchising agreements to get information, when we audit them, we have to go on site to their buildings um, to look at files. They, they won't you know, send us the electronic spreadsheets. So it is tough to get that information. On the other hand, there are some um, kind of municipal consultancies um, that we worked with that can come out um, and map out the existing facilities, the topography, um, the populations, and run it through their own software programs to develop their own maps. So it is generally possible to, you know, if you have some additional resources behind the effort, you can plan and plot that out. You can see where your coverage is and whether our coverage um, dark zones, but it's not fully possible to predict the growing developmental areas of where the next poles will be. Right. I mean, I assume at some point, though, a year or two years, whatever, Verizon is going to have to come say, you know what, there's in our areas, there aren't apartment buildings, there aren't commercial buildings, we're, you know, like semi-rural township, a lot of us. So they, at some point, the Verizon is going to have to come up to engineers and say, okay, we need to put up a small wireless facility in this neighborhood on this location, right? I mean, they're just not gonna pop it up. They've got to tell us where they're gonna go. Yes, they would need all the permits and everything. They couldn't They couldn't just pop it up, that's true. Okay, thanks. Um, but I will say that Verizon too, and this is kind of a little technical side note, is that um, Verizon has Wi-Fi plans. And if you get a Wi-Fi router from Verizon, there's a good chance that your Wi-Fi is boosting out a 5G signal. And if you're signed up on the setting where you're, you know, publicly sharing your Wi-Fi for other Wi-Fi providers, like Comcast or Xfinity frequently does, you are providing a 5G cellular service into the neighborhood behind your door. And there is literally no way or no desire to want to regulate, you know, your Wi-Fi box behind your front door. Um, but there are multiple ways that signals are being reached and that networks are being developed. So a lot of it does have to do with um, the population, the demand, um, the commercial development, and then also the existing technical technological facilities that they may have underground or, or in the streets. Um, so there, there are a lot of different angles to it, but um, we cannot accurately predict precisely where they will go. But um, to put an actual facility on a pole, um, they will need a permit. They will also need the permission of the pole owner too. General, this is Justin Proganassi. What is your experience with respect to the number of small facility companies that are out there? Like we just heard about maybe Verizon deals in this neighborhood, but uh, you know, how many other companies could we expect to want to locate in our townships? Yes, um, that's a good question. For small facilities, there are only three or four companies. Um, there's only AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Dish. Those are the only ones that could really take advantage of the small cell. Um, the other, the tower-based and the non-tower, um, sorry, scratch that. There are additional utilities that may 
and network third-party companies that may want to take advantage of the small cell placements. Um, but there are, it's a limited amount. There's a limited kind of a dozen or so providers. And those are basically the, the telecommunications providers, but they're also third-party network providers. Um, like Crown Castle is a public company that they basically do the development of these towers and these tower-based sites. Um, I have only pretty much seen them doing the development of tower-based and non-tower, but theoretically, they could also be entitled to do small wireless facilities too. Um, I think Crown Castle is an actual public utility in Pennsylvania. So, so the worst case, we could have like six to 12 different companies on a block locating their, uh, their facilities? Um, we have prohibitions in here that prohibit the, the direct, um, the density placement of these types of facilities, but theoretically you could see multiple for providers in the same area. Um, but what you're seeing now is on a, is like on a tower, you will see multiple provide, like a Crown Castle, for instance, will develop the tower and then they will lease out the portions on the tower to all of the wireless companies. Um, and sometimes companies like Verizon will come in and develop their sites directly. Oftentimes they will work with third-party companies like Crown Castle. Um, it just becomes more economical and easier for them in terms of zoning and permit logistics when they're more in the business of telecommunications. I have a question, Joel. Kathleen Pizarro of the Lakefield Planning Commission. Um, in the past few months, Comcast has been advertising 10G. What, what do we know about that? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure about that. I think that's like a Wi-Fi standard or something. I don't know that that's related to um, cellular, but I do know that Comcast or Xfinity is seeking to sell cellular service, but I, and they have like a Comcast mobile plan but I think that they are using the cellular network of AT&T and Verizon. But I think it's 10G, I think is just a marketing term. But I did, like I mentioned for the first time, I heard an industry mention of 6G, which is, you know, the next, the next development. Thank you. But for us, we, for the, the 5G is an industry term um, for us, what we look to is what is defined at regulation. Um, and it's the definition here of um, a small wireless um, facility. And that's what gives us the, the regulatory definition. And I can pull up to kind of get a sense of what, what it means to be a small wireless communications facility. Hey, Joel, it's Joe Conrad playing fish right now. As you're looking that up, what's the uh, responsibilities for these companies when they change their technology to remove their, their previous technology off the poles? Because it becomes an eyesore. Yes. Are you talking about removing the antennas off the poles or removing well, the poles altogether? Well, whatever equipment is obsolete, take it out of the streetscape or the landscape. Yes. 
Um, so there is a process here that we have written into um, the ordinance and it mirrors the same federal regulation. And this is kind of a, a great segue for us here because um, if they propose a change to the facility where they are um, substituting an outdated technology or an antenna um, and it's not substantially changing the wireless facility, then they are entitled to a process called an eligible facility request whereby they do not need to obtain a new um, zoning permit through a conditional use or special exception process. Um, they can simply obtain a building permit just to, to uh, adjust that one antenna or that one specific piece of technology that they want to remove or update. Um, if it came to removing the entire facility, um, there is a section here on removal um, and what uh, is required for applicants up front is to produce a written report with their application called uh, the report um, has to be signed and produced by a, a registered professional engineer that basically details the cost of the wireless facility being removed, the entire facility, the tower, everything being removed, disposed of, and then the entire site being remediated. Um, and then it requires the applicant to put that amount into an, a, to a bond, an amount determined by the municipalities. Um, the municipalities can use the written report as a guideline, uh, but they're not required to, to match it in that amount. Um, but it does require the applicant or the operator to keep a bond in a specified amount so that in the event of an abandoned facility or something like that, um, there would be adequate funds to remove it. You're talking about towers, though. I was talking about what's on the poles. There's tons of wires that they just cut and you leave all their equipment hanging there. Um, there are cut wires and there's equipment hanging? Yeah, yes. Um, that would be a unique and special issue. And let's kind of address that in the sidebar because that would not be, that's, for an existing facility, that's not, I mean, there shouldn't be free wires or free facilities hanging, and that would be addressed with the operator. Um, there are mechanisms in this draft ordinance. If there was wires that were loose or there was an antenna that was hanging loose or there are other things, um, the municipality can step in and declare it as an emergency to safety or health, and then you could either step in and um, demand that they repair it, repair it at cost to them, or revoke the permit altogether if they failed to repair it. Joel, this is a question on the phone. I'm not, I'm not in the meeting. This is Dennis yeah. Fisher from Newtown. Uh, a number of our uh, residents, a small number, but a number, uh, were concerned about health issues, I guess, around radio frequency emissions. Uh, is there any language in here? I, I, I didn't get to all 65 pages. I got to about 30, uh, got about halfway through. And uh, I did see some language about meeting ANSI standards. I saw some um, requirements about proof of compliance with radio frequency emissions. Um, I mean, what other I mean, have I captured all the all the protections we have or the, the possibilities we have to make sure that 
um, you know, things are, are, are safe and according to standards? Yes. So based on the regulations from the FCC and the federal government, um, no municipality can set uh, standards based on the RF emissions of these types of facilities. It is set at a national level. Um, so in that sense, there's nothing that the municipality can do to set the standards of what these facilities are. Um, we are both sensitive to health issues, um, and we also uh, will point to the regulatory bodies and the other standards um, that exist for these types of facilities, um, while also commenting kind of on the proliferation of, of these um, types of facilities in the public and the use of Wi-Fi and other types of things. Um, but for better or worse, no municipality can dig under the hood of um, what the RF emission standards are or what um, the applicant's um, spectrum license is. That being said, uh, the FCC does set specific RF emission standards, and we can require that applicants um, certify that their, that their facilities yes. meet those standards. Um, we can also, at the election of any municipality, conduct and we can call for um, testing at any point in the interim um, after an application, and we could also do independent testing um, if there was a concern that the standards were being exceeded. Um, at any point, if their standards are being exceeded or um, if proof of, proof of compliance is not being submitted, um, then it is possible for the municipality to declare the facility um, a threat to health and safety and um, revoke the permit of that facility. So the extent that the municipality can regulate is to ensure that these types of facilities are complying with the standards that are set forth by the FCC. Got it. That's what I was looking for. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, I, you know, as a township official, this is Tim Thomas, by the way, I'm a supervisor of Upper Makefield, and this has been an ongoing discussion. We've had a small, as the other caller said, a vocal group, but we don't want to get involved in doing testing and standards and all that stuff. It's out of our wheelhouse. And I mean, are we protected? Can people come up and demand that we do safety testing? Because we don't want to get dragged. I'm, I'm speaking for, for myself, I think my township, but probably for the rest of us, we don't want to get involved in doing safety testing and, and pay for it. Yes, the, I mean, these types of reports are, are involve a lot of technical specialty. Um, I'm an attorney and I do not specialize in that area of science or technology. Um, so I can point only to what the regulations are and what the authorities are um, in terms of being able to regulate these types of telecommunications facilities. Um, there are other issues and there are avenues. Um, there's litigation that is being enacted against the FCC. Um, and so if anybody is interested in that, they can become a party to that litigation or follow that litigation. But there are um, parties that are seeking additional testing standards. Uh, but the the authority for this and the regulations have existed for decades um, for what they've been. So um, for our part, we want to make sure that the municipalities can both um, provide proper oversight and the, in the event of some type of emergency or non-compliance um, still has some type of authority to act in terms of being able to revoke the permit. Um, and here we, we try to invoke the expertise of 
um, engineers that are licensed in Pennsylvania with experience in telecommunications operations um, to provide certifications that these facilities are operating within those requirements. All right, Mr. Winston, can you hear me? This is John Mack. I'm a supervisor in Newtown. Yes. And getting back to the last issue about testing and who pays for it, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that testing might be required if somebody, uh, a resident, has a specific complaint that may be even backed up with some uh, medical uh, data uh, and so on. And then uh, I think uh, since we're elected to protect, to protect the health and well-being of our citizens, uh, you know, we should do some kind of uh, test to verify whether there is uh, exceeding the uh, radiation permitted by the FCC at a particular location where the resident may be complaining. And uh, do we have the ability to pass any of those expenses for that kind of test onto the facility? I have not seen a case where an individual resident has prompted a test of an entire cellular facility, um, nor have I seen any case where um, a municipality has done testing based on citizen complaints and then successfully pass those costs on to a wireless provider. Well, we've had uh, people come to our Board of Supervisors meeting uh, specifically uh, complaining that they uh, were living next to a small antenna I believe. So each of these tests are based on, uh, I guess, the small antenna uh, facility, not the whole, you know, installation of all the antennas. But if there's one particular antenna, for example, uh, maybe outside the bedroom of somebody's house, which I've seen online somewhere, that the the resident says is causing uh, significant issues that she has documented. Uh, just testing that one small antenna, what's happening there, I mean, doesn't seem to be like an excessive amount of money, but still, it's something that we might like to do uh, to assure the resident or it's something we need to do as elected officials to protect the health and welfare of our citizens, which we swore to in front of Judge Petrucci, I believe. <laughs> I did that. Um, so, yes. but in terms of recouping the money, uh, are you, do you think well, the, that- So the, the, F, so the FCC st sets what the standards are- in Correct, and uh, we've heard from- a, And so the, and the, the operator, you cannot, um, you could not seek to apply or to build one of these facilities unless you are FCC licensed. Um, so the ordinance does require any operator or applicant to be FCC licensed to be the owner or to have the legal ability to operate their facilities in certain defined spectrum areas. Um, so there is not any mechanism here for any municipality to review what those specific standards are. Um, uh, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, the municipality can only require compliance with those 
um, well, with those standards we and also, certification of that. We also so need can, to assure compliance. And if there's some, uh, you know, some instance where that assurance may not be 100%, um, you know, I would think there'd be in our ability to test that specific antenna, for example, and have it remediated. And I, we've also learned, we've also heard from another expert that sometimes the uh, numbers reported by these companies are not the true numbers that reflect the FCC uh, regulations. So uh, there's some, um, you know, there are maybe reasons why we may want to independently do some testing, uh, yes. you know, and I just don't know, you know, if if we can write a, uh, in our ordinance that we, I think you mentioned that we have the ability to do testing, correct, in the yes. ordinance? <clears throat> yes, um, I mean, we, the municipality can require certification at, um, at application and at approval. Um, if there is a concern that the RF emissions are being exceeded at any point during the duration of the permit, um, you could all the municipality can also request additional testing. Um, and if it felt that the you know that either the results were untrustworthy or it wanted its own results, um, this ordinance provides the authority for a municipality um, to conduct its own independent testing at any time to make okay. sure that a facility complies with those requirements. All right, so well, the, absolutely to all those counts. The great. third one in terms of getting the cost of that, um, the federal, I'll have to give the lawyer answer, which is that it depends, I can't say yes or no, the federal standards specifically for small wireless facilities, um, this is kind of a side discussion and we can get very deep into what the regulations say, but, um, to pass along the cost of this, it has to be a reasonable approximation of costs that themselves are reasonable. Okay. And that's as far as what the, the language goes to say. So if it was found to be, you know, if you got a report from a wireless provider and it was riddled with errors and you were able to produce a report that was clean and clear, um, I think a court would clearly find that that would be a reasonable cost to have undertaken. Okay. Um, but if the report, yeah, but if the report matches what the other report said, then it may not be reasonable. So, um, unfortunately, that's kind of what only the, the guidelines of what the federal law provides in terms of, of testing whether a fee can be um, passed along. All right. Well, uh, thanks for your answer. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I can also provide some resources um, in terms of what the FCC provides. Um, in terms of what the wireless companies provide. Um, we also have a kind of a, um, a list of the, from the U.S. Department of Commerce, the actual use of spectrum across the entire range of the spectrum. Um, and you can see that what's in there in terms of mobile is only a tiny sliver of the, of the activity across the entire radio spectrum. Um, and we also are dealing with issues like Wi-Fi um, on different bandwidths. So, um, it is an issue that we are um, sensitive to, but only, you know, as attorneys, we can only advise a municipality um, with the authority that it would have in order to review that. Um, and there's a kind of a certain fine line that uh, all municipalities have to walk in terms of reviewing those standards. But we do want to make sure 
that each that the municipalities do have the maximum amount of authority um, both to require those tests um, to require them at any point during the um, permit and then to be able to take action if those findings are unfavorable so, so to your you know to your knowledge has there any been any credible scientific information that wireless communication has harmed people and I stress yes, yes. So, okay so I'm, I'm an attorney so I don't have I don't have any scientific information I have read a lot of cases related to wireless I have not seen any specific case related to um, the removal of facilities or um, anything related to excess RF emissions as being the cause of any type of wireless facility emergency or um, denial of a permit or any any type of basis. Okay, thank you. Uh, but I, I will say that I do know that there is regulation um, that has been ongoing against the FCC to get the FCC to both review its standards and provide any type of update that the FCC feels is necessary to those standards. Well, as and I understand, that's at, again, that's at a federal level, though. As I understand it, they have uh, levels acceptable to uh, ordinary citizens and then levels uh, that's acceptable to uh, the workers. Uh, the workers can be exposed to higher levels of radiation, according to the FCC. And we've heard that in some cases, the companies may be reporting that they are compliant with the FCC regulations, but they are really uh, referring to the higher levels uh, that workers are allowed to be exposed to. So, you know, uh, it's for me, it's a matter of uh, trusting, but being able to verify. And, um, you know, that's whether or not it actually causes uh, harm. I mean, I don't know why the FCC would have these regulations if there wasn't some harm associating with going above those levels. Yeah, um, I can't tell you the reasoning behind the regulations of what they have, but they do. They are regulating multiple um, commercial entities in that spectrum. Um, and I can tell you that as a group, lawyers do not trust uh, and they do not let others verify. So if there are issues of telecommunications companies misreporting those amounts to employees or consumers or to anybody, I would expect that other attorneys would be there to help enforce those rights. Anybody have any questions about the design manual? Does that get into like these things are uh, have to uh, look like uh, trees or whatever, disguise, that sort of thing? Is that what part of the design manual is about? Um, conceptually, so the kind of the the stealthing of facilities um, is a kind of part of the oversight and review um, of the permitting process. Um, these types of facilities, there are, um, they do look and feel different depending on the, the amount of um, design oversight that's enforced by the municipality. Um, not all of them 
you know, appear the same or look the same. Um, but the small, the design manual um, is specifically for the small wireless communications facilities. Um, these are facilities that, again, because they're in the public right of way, um, they're going to have different design requirements. Um, and because they are an administrative review process, they don't have that same um, opportunity for the municipality um, to make those design guidelines and do the design review. Um, so the design guide, the design guidelines under federal law, um, the FCC allows these aesthetic requirements um, as long as it, um, they're reasonable, they're no more burdensome than those applied to other types of infrastructure and they're published in advance. Um, and so here, the reason that they're outside of the ordinance is um, they contain, there's some smaller requirements that continue to be updated by the FCC. And so it would allow the municipalities to update the design guidelines um, without having to update the entire ordinance. Um, but the design guidelines are incorporated by reference into the ordinance. So, um, but they do control kind of the stealthing and camouflage and standards of appearance. So when you say, uh, I think you mentioned, it has to be published in advance, that's what the role of the design manual is. It's something that is published. Yes, it's both published in advance and it's not hard coded into the ordinance. Um, so for instance, um, the FCC, you know, they used to set um, for an eligible facilities request, they used to require maybe a distance that had something to do with like 10 feet, and then they changed it by regulation to 30 feet, just in an update. And so to update that in the ordinance would require a change to the ordinance, but um, this wireless design manual can be manually updated. Great, um, that sounds great. We don't want to update yes. our ordinances. That takes too long. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and so these are just for technical changes. Um, but municipalities, um, some of them will use just the design manual alone. Um, but then as you start to get additional applications, um, the municipalities um, and the zoning departments can develop um, or may elect to choose some kind of standardized templates in terms of requiring um, certain types of um, telecommunications utility poles that would incorporate, for instance, um, you can require poles that incorporate the wires so that you don't have to look at the wires, um, or you can require um, the power uh, connections to be um, in an underground cabinet rather than being attached to the utility pole. Um, so there are just ways to aesthetically kind of improve the look and feel of the, um, these types of facilities. But again, they're only for these small wireless facilities. And again, we we keep talking about small wireless facilities and we call them 5G, um, but they do have a regulatory definition um, that's here on um, page, uh, the second page of the design manual. Um, and a wireless facility is essentially any wireless communication facility um, where the structure of the facility is 60 feet or less in height, essentially, or um, and then the antenna that's being deployed um, is no more than 28 cubic feet in volume. That's, that's not kind of very like small, an, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's yes, it's not. I think it's kind of maybe the size of a of a an older refrigerator, <laughs> uh, not one of those newer double door refrigerators, but one of the older older style refrigerators. Okay. But that's the collective volume of the antenna right. 
Yeah. And it's yeah, so like each antenna has to meet a certain cubic feet and volume and then the associated equipment and the facility height and everything. So they're not small, small, but they have to meet a certain type of definition. And then that's what gets them the opportunity to site a facility into the public right of way. So am I correct in assuming that there can be none of these uh, installed in the township without uh, getting a permit from the, the township? Correct. Um, because I had thought somebody pointed out to me a 5G antenna located in one of our neighborhoods. Uh, I forget what it is, a, a crossing on a neighborhood somewhere, uh, like a lone antenna or some uh, things along uh, maybe, I don't know, Sycamore Street in our town where you have those little gray containers on top of a telephone pole have been pointed out to me to be uh, these 5G antennas. Could that be? I mean, could they have actually installed a few of these things? I don't... No, no. I, I, it could be a facility, but it would not, I would not suspect it would be an unpermitted facility from a major telecommunications company. They do not put these things up overnight. They have years of planning and investment in right. these things. They're not trying to sneak them up. Um, you could, we could, we could uh, triangulate and find out where that facility, whatever it is that you're talking about and take a picture of it and figure out if it is a wireless facility or oh, what. Oh, I have a photo could, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I but, mean, it, um, could be, it could be any number of traffic facilities or um, weather related facilities. Um, but when they, when they come in, they want to do a whole, the whole regilla, there's a, very many antennas, obviously, I guess, when they want to do this, correct? The company comes in. With these small wireless facilities, they typically need um, multiple facilities in order to really build out a network. Um, they are indeed, um, they're faster than the, the 4G, the previous network, but they require much more density. Um, so you can only go about a city block with one of these types of facilities. And that's if there's no trees or other types of things in the way. Yeah. Um, so usually when they come in with these types of applications, they, it'll be multiples of them. They'll want to put in two or three or five or 15 or 25 of these facilities, um, these smaller type of facilities. And because they're designated as these smaller facilities, they're understood to be less technically complex than a tower. Um, they're supposed to be designed in such a way that the impact is minimized. Um, that they don't require this extensive type of design review. Now, uh, when, when, if they were to come in, and I'm not sure, uh, forgive me for not reading all the 60 pages, uh, <laughs> not, not even the 20 pages that Dennis read, I don't know. But, um, and I'm not sure which document would have this kind of information, but when they did do come in, are they required to submit a uh, plan of like where these are going to be located exactly, uh, what they're going to look like, that sort of thing that we can pre-approve and see if we uh, look at this and say there's some kind of problem with some of these locations that you're suggesting, things like that? 
Yes, there's still a, a review process. Are you talking about for the small wireless facilities? Yes, I guess. Yeah. Yes, yes. There's still a review process, um, but it's understood that these facilities, because they can be in the public right of way and not on private property, um, that it is kind of designated as less intensive. Again, the, um, the Pennsylvania State Legislature uh, removed the ability to do a conditional use or special exception review. So it should be by administrative review, um, but it still does provide enough time um, for the municipality um, and the zone, municipal zoning officer or the township manager, um, whoever's designated as the kind of review authority um, on that application to be able to impose locational and um, design requirements. Right. So I guess they will try to uh, comply with whatever the zoning officer might suggest yes. just because they want to be nice and not cause any trouble, I guess. Yes. Um, but again, we have to remember that theoretically, both based on what the FCC has done and the Pennsylvania State Legislature is that these small wireless facilities should theoretically be able to be located in any public right of way in any district. Right. Now, we will write and we do write in our ordinance that these small wireless facilities cannot be located in any district or any area or any development or any sub portion thereof where all of the utilities are required to be underground. Right. And so that makes it non-discriminatory, but you know, there's another issue that we mentioned about prohibition of wireless service. Um, but we will try to work because every, because all those facilities in that area underground, we do not want these facilities to be the ones that are above ground. So, um, so. Uh, in my neighborhood, this everything is underground. We don't have any telephone poles in our neighborhood. It's not that big a neighborhood. So what you're saying is that they cannot come in and put above ground small antennas in our neighborhood. The way that we have written this ordinance, that is correct. They could not come in and do that. They could now, but theoretically they could if they wanted to mount a challenge to say somehow the municipality is prohibiting wireless service. Say if there was no wireless service anywhere in your neighborhood and no antenna from any tower or non-tower facility could reach you at all, then they might credibly argue that, the, that wireless service is being prohibited in that area and they could force the placement of a small wireless facility theoretically in the public right of way, if that was the location that they could demonstrate and they, you know, for instance, um, they could show that there was some type of prohibition of wireless service. Um, but we have not encountered that type of um, dispute yet. And again, the way that we interpret um, these regulations is that in areas where all utilities are required to be underground, it is non-discriminatory um, to also require these um, wireless facilities to not be placed on on poles or wireless support structures. Okay. Joel, in, in, in Ricetown, we generally don't have uh, stri um, street lights in any, any of our subdivisions. Um, but I know some of the townships do have street lights and subdivisions. Even though everything is underground, those poles are above ground. Can an argument be made that the uh, you, you could put a, a 
one of these small wireless facilities above ground because there were street lights in the neighborhood? Theoretically, yes. I think it depends on who owns those street lights, who owns and operates them. Um, if they were utility owned, um, then yes, absolutely. Then you would have to require small wireless facilities. Um, if they are municipal owned exclusively, that may be a separate question. Again, a lot of this is really fact specific. And then we get into um, discussions about what the wireless facilities are and where are they and the topography and, and all types of things. Um, but that could theoretically be a possibility. What could be a possibility that they can come into a neighborhood like ours with street lights owned by the municipality and install them on the street lights? If the street lights were owned by a municipality, um, I, I wouldn't have a clear answer necessarily as to whether it's discriminatory to allow street lights from a municipality, um, but prohibit small wireless facilities from an authorized telecommunications provider. Okay, so that's an unknown right now. That is theoretically an unknown. If it were utility streetlights, I could tell you with absolute that it would be discriminatory to prohibit um, the wireless companies. But because it's the, if it were municipalities, um, that's kind of a new and novel question that I um, that we've never encountered before. So I would kind of consult some of my colleagues here and I would try to look to see what, if there were legal authorities and what the legal authorities were and the, the sources of, um, if it's like a municipal owned utility or what the circumstances are. The third option would be owned by the Homeowners Association. Wouldn't be municipal, it wouldn't be utility. Yes, these are, so remember how earlier when I said that there was no silly question that all questions are good questions. These are the types of things where there are so many areas of law that are over overarching that I, you know, we would, we would have to research that more and we would always, you know, it, again, it depends because it's all theoretical on what it would be, but the overarching understanding is if there are poles somewhere above and those poles are in the public rights of way, even if they were a homeowner's if it were a homeowners association and all that land were private and they were on private land, then it's a different situation than if those lights are being allowed in the public right of way through some authority of the municipality. So, I mean, we would really have to kind of make a factual and legal assessment based on some specific sets of circumstances. Okay. But um, other, I mean, uh, again, for us, um, what we're really trying to address is there's there's two, I mean, the two, the three major concerns usually are um, either the health concerns, um, the residential concerns, or the concerns that we don't have enough coverage and we want more coverage. Um, so for us, it's we are sensitive to the idea that brand new poles could pop up in residential zones where there are no poles existing. Yeah. I have a question about process. Yes. I'm sure that somewhere along the line you have either participated in, observed, or been made aware of the process of approval of these ordinances. As you know, we they go to the planning commissions of the municipalities first, they're reviewed, uh, and recommendations are made to the Board of Supervisors. And how would you suggest that a planning commission that really doesn't have this technical expertise 
They probably expect too much of land use, but not in this. How would you recommend that they go about reviewing this kind of ordinance? Um, in terms of the, the application procedures or the district locations for where these facilities oh, can be located? Oh, um, So we have, I mean, we have written um, many of these ordinances. We've been through county um, zoning review processes. Um, these are specialized sets of regulations, um, just like any other um, type of land use uh, set of regulations might be. Um, they are, again, fairly straightforward because they are not overly technically complex. If there are questions or issues of process or understanding um, the substance, uh, we're here to answer any questions. If there's any any questions that anybody reading this has, um, I apologize. You may need a cup or two of extra coffee to get through all these regulations. Um, they are definitely long, but they are not overly wordy for any type of reason. Um, all the um, language that we have in here we feel is essential and necessary. Um, but again, if there are any questions, uh, we're here to answer them um, moving forward. Yeah, I just have one follow-up to Jeremy. If, if this, the very small uh, antennas, you know, the local ones, if that's an administrative review, would the planning commission even be involved in it? I'll just that's another level one that Permits are going through. I'm talking about reviewing the ordinance to approve the ordinance okay. as a whole before we get there. Uh, yeah, because once you get there, it's not. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Because um, I'm concerned that the, the Planning Commission may have difficulties addressing all of this. I mean, it's kind of full to the solicitors to answer a lot of those questions. So I, I think it's going to, I mean, we're going to have to make sure the Planning Commission's understand that there may not be a lot of flexibility for them to make uh, changes or suggested changes, um, you know, and I, I don't think that they're used to that, which is because uh, I know they'll come back with a whole bunch of recommendations of things that we should do and legally we may not be able to do that. Understood. And I imagine that this, as when it becomes a YouTube, will be available Correct. for the planning vision to review. So they'll see this. They'll see this. Yeah. And if there are specific requests or um, requests to amend or make adjustments, and we can review all these specific requests, we do want to make sure that we address um, the concerns of every planning commission. Um, this is, we understand, you know, being put together in kind of a, um, a joint municipal zoning group. Um, so it's a little different than um, kind of one-on-one, -on -one, but if there are any things that um, are substantively um, or legally necessary, I mean, we we certainly can adjust and make uh, amendments here to make sure that we have included everything. Um, but sort of the biggest outstanding question um, both is we borrowed from the existing review processes. Um, so we have them for the tower base and the non-tower um, but both the review process in terms of conditional use or special exception, and then also the siting locations of um, the tower base and the non-tower base facility. Um, we think substantively that's usually where a lot of time is spent um, in terms of being able to designate where the facilities are. Um, typically they are laid out in district types, um, but here the existing regulations are all by tax map parcel. Um, so this is going to take some um, 
some time to be able to look and review and then to designate and figure out um, where these types of facilities can be cited. Yeah, and then on preparation for the planning commission, yeah, I think so. And that will be some mix of reviewing what the existing regulations are, um, kind of determining where existing facilities are, um, and then looking where facilities can be cited um, and located. And again, we have the overarching um, standard that we can't prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting wireless service. Um, but what that means is um, has kind of been a moving target and the subject of much litigation over many years. I, I suspect we still need to take another crack at the ordinance to clean up anything uh, or any dis discrepancies or changes or directions that we we want before we send it out to the planning commission. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, they, and we're talking about conditional use versus special exception. In the, la in, the, in, in the last iteration of this ordinance that was drafted before we started going down the road with, with Joel, uh, we were moving from a conditional use to special exception to give the uh, the boards of supervisors more control to fight a case in front of the zoning hearing board as opposed to, it's you know, we're with the conditional use process that we have to sit quietly and listen for, for, for months on end and not say a word. And that's kind of tough for us to do that, so. Joel, this is Ellen Snyder from Newtown Township. What is our deadline for this? Are, do we still, are we under a deadline? There is no specific deadline, no. Was there ever? It's our self-imposing. So if you don't have an ordinance, you don't have any protection. Right. So. So our own guideline is we want to put something okay. in so we have right. protection because right now you have no protection. We don't want, we don't want to get a text amendment from Verizon to address it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Well, Joel, I have nothing further to suggest. Uh, knowing that you're still out there and available to answer some of our more Minute questions is, is helpful. It's, really, it's a relief, but I appreciate everything you put together. It's been a lot of work, I'm sure. Yes, thank you. I and mean, for us, this is kind of still the beginning of the process. We expect that there's going to be some more review and a lot more discussion and determination. So we're absolutely um, open and available to discuss any questions or any issues that come up. 